Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, Pastor Joel begins his study in the book of James. He's in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, with the message, Faith at Work in You. Today, we're going to start the letter of James. Uh, how do you start the letter of James? We've been going through, through Proverbs, and there's so much similar uh, to it. But James, uh, I want us to just imagine at the beginning what it would have been like if we were a first century church. If we were a group of believers that were gathering together on a Sunday morning, like they would have done, to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus that was so transformational in our lives, that we've gathered together. We're in probably somebody's house as we've gathered, we may have like fragments of an Old Testament scroll or something that we've scribbled on. But other than that, all we have is the teachings of Jesus that we uh, remember. Because there would be people in that community that had actually heard Jesus preaching on that hillside. There would be people in your, in your group that had probably walked past Jesus. Maybe even people that had seen one of his miracles or experienced one of his healings even. In that little group... Right there, but but all you had was his, his teachings, uh, and and maybe some fragments of scrolls. And say ten years from when Jesus resurrected, a lot had happened. I mean, ten ten years went by, but there's so much that happened in that ten years because that group of believers in Jesus and the resurrection uh, after Jesus was resurrected, they continued to meet in the synagogue. I mean, that was their history. That was their community. Those were their people. For, for, for centuries, this was who they were. They had no reason to not meet in the synagogue. And so they would meet in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and then on Sunday morning they found this common bond with people uh, that believed in the resurrection, believed in who Jesus said he was. And so they would meet again on Sunday morning in someone's, uh, someone's house to celebrate that. Well, ten years had gone by, and, and Rome although it was given protection for Jews as like this protected religion, uh, these people that they started calling people of the way, uh, or this derogatory term Christians, these little, these little Christ, uh, they were not protected under Rome. And so per as persecution started coming, uh, the Jews in the synagogues really thought they were these people of the way, these Christians were going the wrong way, and they were not protected by Rome. And so all kinds of persecution came. In fact, some of them were even killed, stoned to death. Uh, and as this persecution came, they were forcing these believers, these Christians, out of the synagogue. We don't want anything to do with you because we're protected and you're not. Go away from us. And, and as these uh, believers in Jesus and because of the resurrection, as they felt that persecution, they were being pushed out of their communities, forced to flee like refugees, leaving homes and careers, and friends, and even dividing families. Uh, you, we can picture it even on the news as, as somebody is forced to flee, and they have maybe a home and a career set up, 
Everything's comfortable for them, but they have to take everything they can get in a bag, and they have to go now or you're going to die. And so as these people of the way, these Christians scattered throughout the rest of the world, they would have to rebuild Rebuild everything. They, they would get to these new communities and they would find out other people who were Christians, who believed that Jesus' resurrection changed reality, changed life, and then they would get together on a Sunday. Because that's the day that changed it all. And as they gathered in a group like this on a Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with just the Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus, they had to wonder, what now? How are we supposed to live like this? Is this what God intended? When Jesus died and resurrected, is this what he wanted? How do we even live in this? How do we live in this new covenant that Jesus made through his blood and his body? Well, as they gathered together, I'm sure the word got out uh, that this guy named James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, had written you a letter. He's written you a letter, some instructions, some hope in how you're supposed to live scattered throughout all the world facing all this persecution. And so you gather together on a Sunday morning just like this, and the president, as they called it back then, of the assembly of this gathering would take that scroll or parchment and he would read to you James's words. This is a letter written to you in persecution, dispersed throughout the entire world, even to boring Oregon. And like a gift on Christmas morning. You know, 10 years you've been living in persecution. The government against you, your own family and friend against you, and you're just longing for what now? How am I supposed to live like this? And they would open up this scroll and they would begin reading it like this. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings! Greetings. Now, greetings in Greek, it, it, it means rejoice or be glad. It's this overflow of happiness. And so as they said greetings, it reminded me when we were in Slovenia and people would come to our little tiny church and they would bring greetings from someone else. They would use this word pozdrav. And they would say pozdrav there. And everyone responded back with pozdrav. It's this gladness. So I, I think even in English, if we would have translated this word instead of greetings, if we would have translated it cheers. Because when you say cheers, what's the other person say? Cheers. So as they read this letter, for the first time, for these people that are hungry and desperate, they've, lost, they've left everything to follow Jesus, and they get these words from James, and he says, cheers. I can imagine the group of believers in that home raising their fists and going, Cheers! Greetings! There is a gladness in this overflow of the gifts that James had gotten, and even in his own persecution, that he now wants to share with the believers who are living in these difficult situations. See, for James, it changed his entire perspective of his circumstances and the world around him. James! Now, now, those early gatherings, if you would have said, James wrote us a letter, all of them would have probably known, oh, James, we know James. But there might be one or two people that are like, James who? And they would have probably gladly told them, oh, let me tell you, James. Well, you probably know him as Jacob. 
Because in, in both Greek and Hebrew and most other languages, the book of this Bible is called uh, Jacob or Jacobus or Jacob. Uh, but in English, we call him James. Uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, almost certainly by most scholars, they believe that's who wrote the book. James or Jacob, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, same mom, uh, different dad. Uh, they grew up in the, in, in the same house. Uh, Jacob or James and Jesus are brothers in the same house. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? Uh, first off, I think there's no, there's no better proof for who Jesus said he was than to have his own brother say, yes, this is God in the flesh. His own brother. Uh, you, you might be able to like trick some people on the outside, uh, but your own brother to claim this, that, that's something huge. If I brought my brothers here, I would tell you these, this is not God in the flesh. And my brothers probably wouldn't say that either. <laughs> and they'd have lots of, lots of evidence of why I'm not. But James, in, 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 if you connect the dot of his life, gets to the point where he's like, Jesus is who he said he claimed to be. He, he is. He's the Messiah. Uh, James is convinced of who Jesus is. Now, if you uh, take a stroll through the New Testament, you'll see actually James or Jacob pop up several times. And if you connect those dots, you can kind of get the story uh, of Jacob or James's uh, life. You see, early on, him and his brothers, they think Jesus is nuts. They actually go to a place where he is teaching, and they want to grab him and bring him home so he doesn't, like, he, they're saying he's out of his mind. Uh, they, they doubt everything. They just doesn't think it's, any of this is, like, true. He, he's having a hard time. His eyes are not open to who Jesus is. But then something happens, and, and then it's all changed. Now, we don't exactly know what that is, but we do uh, get in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appears after the resurrection. He is death and then resurrection, and Jesus appears to all these people. But there's some people that it says he specifically appeared to, and his brother James is one of them. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 15. So after he is uh, brutally killed on the cross and buried and resurrected, he appears to his brother and says, here I am. And after that, you get a few other instances of, of Jacob or James in the New Testament. But by that time, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He actually has Paul come to him and, and talk to him. Uh, there's something that's, that's changed in James' perspective of the world of, because of Jesus and the resurrection uh, of Jesus. Um, outside of Bible, historians actually wrote about James's, his death. Um, they see uh, he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, but the pressure started coming, uh, and so they bring him to this highest place in the temple, and they tell the people, you're leading all these people astray following Jesus. Recant now. Tell them that Jesus is not the Christ. He's not God in flesh. Tell them now. And from this public place, James or Jacob gets the opportunity to not recant, but to tell everyone, Jesus is who he says he is. He's the only way. He's salvation. And from that high place in the temple, they throw him down. He doesn't die, so they pick up stones to stone him. And then they pick up a club, and finally someone uh, kills him by beating him to death. But it says, while they were stoning him, and, and I don't know if it's true or not, but they, the historians write that he was praying, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
See, James' life was radically changed. Uh, you can actually see that in the first line of this letter that he writes. Jacob, or James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James identifies himself not as the leader, but as a servant. Uh, the word is doulos, and it means slave, really. He means, I, I am a servant, I am a slave of, of two people, of, of God, this divine being who created the world. I'm a servant of God and of my brother, uh, Jesus. That was his name. I, I'm a servant of God and Jesus. He, he sets up God and Jesus like on the same level. I'm a servant of both of them. But he also gives two titles to his brother. Jesus, he calls him Lord, which means owner or master, and Christ, which is the Hebrew term uh, Messiah. It means anointed one. Uh, it's a term for a king. So James or Jacob goes, I am a servant of God and of King Jesus who owns it all, my brother. How's that for an introduction to your brother? Would you do that? What a testimony that is. He says, so I'm writing this to the 12 tribes who are all dispersed. 12 tribes are all dispersed. And if you knew your Jewish history really well, you would know that uh, it's been like 600, 700 years when the 10 tribes of the north were completely uh, obliterated and remarried uh, with the Assyrians, and they just destroyed them. And so those 10 tribes were kind of lost. We didn't really know where they went. Um, but, but it's like Jacob or James, he's picking up the, the story. So Jacob, writing to the 12 tribes. Well, it's like Jacob, who he's named after, writing to his 12 sons or the 12 tribes. It's like he's picking up the Old Testament story, and just in a few words, he's going, and you're joining that story now. But it's all fulfilled in Jesus. You're part of that story. He said, join me. As we uh, just dive into the story of God and his people through Jesus and how, and how believing in Jesus and the resurrection changes us. It's working inside of us if, if we truly believe. If that faith is given to us, it's working in us. Now, in the same way that James saw the world in a new way after he put his faith in Jesus, today we're going to see that faith in Jesus is working in us to change our perspective. If there's a faith in you, it is working in you and it's changing you. It's changing how you see the world, change our perspective. And you might be sitting here today going, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. Like I'm a believer and I look around and I still think the world is broken and lost and it's horrible out there. Like how does it change what, how does it change what I'm seeing? How does it change my perspective. It isn't just hopeless. Well, this brings us back to the book of James. And as we begin the study in this book today, we're going to see three areas where faith is at work in you, if you believe in Jesus and the resurrection, is at work changing your perspective. James begins like a letter. The very first two lines begin like he's going to write a letter, but this letter is way different than any of the other letters in the New Testament. It goes on from after the, like the second verse to read more like a wisdom literature in the Old Testament. 
In fact, there's so much in James that resembles the book of Proverbs. It's like James or Jacob had Proverbs just on his mind as he's trying to answer the question for these believers, how am I supposed to live in this new covenant with Jesus? And so he writes to them. I'm going to read verse 2 through 12. And if you wouldn't mind, would you stand as I read this, if you're able to? James 1 and verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may have a seat. We look at three areas where faith in Jesus should change our perspective, that we'll have this new, uh, new look and outlook in, in the world. Uh, these three areas that we're going to look at are going to be in our trials, in our lacking, and in our circumstances. So three areas that we're going to give new perspective in our trials, in our lacking, in our circumstances. And we'll see as we walk along this thing, uh, this text of Scripture, that James, he gives us some perspective that he wants us to have, then he gives us a situation we should have it in, and then he gives us the grounding or the because of why we should have that. It's not just like wishful thinking. It's all grounded in the truth of who Jesus says he is. So new perspective in the situation because of something, and we'll see this uh, three times. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. There is joy in various trials because there is a purpose. There's joy in various trials because there is a purpose. God is doing something. He writes, count it all joy. That, the word to count it, it means to consider, to regard, to look at it in this way. He says, look at it in this way. God is at work. To find your joy in the sovereign work of God. Not in the trial that's before you. It doesn't feel good to deal with issues. It's not fun to have a busted furnace and not have any heat for a week. It's not fun when your car breaks down. We Christians, we're not masochists. We don't like enjoy the pain. It's not fun. And if anyone ever comes to you and responds to like a cancer diagnosis and go, yes! That's awesome. I love it. You're like, wait, no. That's really difficult. That's, that's hard. Because the trial is not the source of the joy. You get that? The trial is not the source of the joy. We find joy 
in God working for our good, in God's sovereignty and power. That's where we find the joy. So when it feels like just everything's falling apart, when it's difficult in life, we don't go, yes, I love the pain, bring on more pain. No, we, we have joy and we knowing that God is sovereign and this is not outside of his control. He is, he's doing something. He's producing something in you. And, and what that's producing, James says, is steadfastness. It's like growing your roots even deeper. It's like, it's like he's planting you firmly. So if you're following Jesus, you know that whatever comes along, he's taking all that experiences, all the good, the bad, the hard, the ugly, and he's shaping it in you, your experiences, your failures, your dreams, your childhood, your parents, your friends, your career, all of that he's taking. And if you're following the Lord, he's taking it and using it for good to make you who you are for his glory. He says this steadfastness is actually producing two things in you. Two things that you, you become. The first one is this, you become perfect. Isn't that great? You become perfect. And you hear that word and you go, I am far from perfect. And it actually makes, when you read it and you think of it like perfect means I make no mistakes, we all feel judged, right? We're like, we're far from being perfect. But, but there's a little bit of interesting uh, tweak on this word in, in Greek. It doesn't mean without any mistakes. It has more of this idea of there's a destination or a purpose. There's an end goal for this, and it's being finished. It's the fulfillment of what it's designed for. Uh, here, here's my um, illustration when I was thinking through it. So our kids are all out of elementary school, but when they're in elementary school, uh, every Christmas season they would all be making Christmas ornaments in their classrooms. You guys ever seen those? Angie, Angie uh, Hiltzteger's not here today, or maybe she's downstairs. Oh, here you are. So Angie's second grade teacher for several of our kids at Kelly Creek, and her, uh, her ornaments were the best. That's what Amy told me. I don't know which ones were which. But a lot of them are just like macaroni and painting and glitter on some like construction paper and then a paper clip, right? Well, now that our kids are older, we get them out of the box, and our kids are like, can we f throw those away, please? They look horrible. Because those ornaments, they're kind of this mix of like cute and pathetic at like the same, <laughs> not in a harsh way, just like, you know what I mean. And as, as kids pull them out and mom's like, oh, so cute. And our daughter's like, no, throw that away. I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, the reason that those ornaments were made was to be hung on a tree to celebrate Christmas. So when we pull them out of the box, and we take that paper clip and we put it on the tree, we could say that that ornament is perfect. It's fulfilling what it was designed to do. But when we say perfect, do we mean the glitter is all in the right spot and that the macaroni is not cracked or broken and the glue is not showing? No, but it's designed for something. There's a purpose that it's fulfilling. We could say that, that ornament is perfect. You know, in the same way, God is using all of that stuff in you, the trials that you face, the difficulties that you have, and he's shaping you so that you can fulfill the purpose that he has for you. He's got a purpose for each one of you in his kingdom. And if you're fulfilling that purpose, cracks and all, macaroni and all, 
You can say you're becoming perfect. You're, you're fulfilling what God is designing you to do if you will allow him. God has a purpose in the trial that you're in. It's to bring you about to fulfill the purpose that he has for you. So, so that struggle or that failure before, he wants to redeem and use for his glory. If you would allow him to do that, you can be perfect. And he actually says, you know this. Did you see that? You know this. He's reminding them. Because all of us, we go, oh man, if that wouldn't have happened, I, wouldn't, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have had to go through that. But, but that has shaped me in ways that now God is using for his glory. And he says, you remember that? God is, you, God's done this over and over. You know this. You can all, you just need to be reminded that the trial that you're going through, God's going to use for his glory and the purpose that he has for you in his kingdom. You, you become perfect. The second thing he says, you, you become complete. You're being made whole. You know, when we face trials, we often consider it, the very first thing, it feels like a loss. Especially if it's health or economic or relational, we feel the loss of something. It's grieving. But actually, James says, when you go through these trials, you're not losing something. Actually, there is something there that is making you whole or complete. It's like God uses these trials to complete this puzzle of our, our life. Now, we don't even know we're missing sometimes. When trials come then, I, I've pictured it like this. Have you ever done a puzzle and you get to the last and there's like three pieces missing? And then what do you do? You normally look on the carpet and the box, everywhere for this puzzle piece. And then when you find the puzzle piece, you're like, I found it. I found the missing puzzle piece. When trials come, I think that's what James is like. There's a missing puzzle piece. There's something you're missing that God wants to fill in you that he's going to use this trial to make you whole. So he says, have this perspective. When you face trials, the next, the next trial you face, it's going to be in the next couple hours or tomorrow. The next trial that you face, here's your perspective. Have this perspective. It's your thinking. It's your outlook. It's not maybe how you feel. Uh, but tell yourself this. There is a purpose in this. God is at work in this. And I'll rejoice in what God is doing and not the trial. Joy in all various trials. And you might say, well, how do I know if my trial is in this category? Well, the term various gives you the context for what it is. So if you're like, well, what if it's just this little thing? Well, that's a various trial. Various means various. So anything you face <laughs> can fall within that various trial, right? Doesn't matter how like, well, I'm not facing what they're facing. Well, that's a various trial. And the various trials that you face this week, know that there's a purpose in this, that God is at work. So look for that in the trial. Here's the second thing. Number two, there is goodness in our lacking because there is a great provider. There's a goodness in our lacking. When, when there's something we don't have or we need, it's actually, we actually find really a lot of goodness in that because there is a great provider our needs actually turn us to our relationship to the Lord. Uh, it says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. He, he's, he's, right, he's right there for you. You know, James starts off like a letter, but as, even as we get to these, this spot in his letter, it reads more like Proverbs, right? 
And even saying, if you're lacking wisdom, uh, and there's lots of metaphors within that, uh, and he's, he's concerned about this search for wisdom, which we talked the last three weeks about here, the search for wisdom. But it's like James has Proverbs in the back of his mind. And, and rather than even going, if anyone lacks wisdom, boy, go read Proverbs. He basically summarizes all of Proverbs. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, it's this idea, uh, last week we saw it. If anyone lacks wisdom, then he needs to yira and shema. He needs to fear and hear. And how James says it here, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, it's not in some book or some class or some fortune cookie that you get after your Chinese food this afternoon. Uh, wisdom is found in turning to God and being in relationship with him. To fear and hear, to turn to God and listen and hear. Because, James says, because he's generous and he's kind. He's not, he's not going to say, oh, you're waiting until now to do it? Hmm. No, there's none of that. He's like, come, I'm here all the time, and I'm overflowing with wisdom that I have for you. See, this turning to the Lord uh, in our lack actually produces a, a reliance on the Lord. It's actually when we get to the end of ourselves that we can see things the clearest sometimes. But the source of life, wisdom, goodness is actually offered to everyone like we saw these last weeks. But it's when we're content with ourselves, when we, we have a rhythms and patterns and we're strong enough, we think we got it all, um, that we don't turn to the Lord. We just say, I got this. I'll do this by myself. But when we get to the end of ourselves, we turn to the Lord. And he's been there the whole time. And been there with this unlimited supply of uh, this relationship that he wants to offer and this wisdom and this skill and living life, this, this goodness that he has for us. Uh, the first time I went down to, to Mexico was great because they knew I liked soccer, and so I got to play with a bunch of guys on this, like, turf kind of stuff uh, that actually had lots of, I'm, I'm using this as my excuse, it had lots of, like, little rivets in it because I ended up twisting my ankle super bad, and it swelled up really bad. So I was ho hobbling on it, uh, had this boot and thing on my leg for so long, um, and Amy was, Amy was like, are you going to go to the doctor? And as a man... I don't need no doctor. <laughs> so I just hobbled along for probably a month, six weeks. Uh, it hurt, but I was getting through, right? Until I was coaching uh, my daughter Abigail's soccer team, and I twisted that exact same ankle, and it swelled up so big I couldn't even put uh, pressure on it. And Amy was like, are you finally going to go see a doctor? And I couldn't even, like, I couldn't drive. It was my right foot. Couldn't drive, couldn't walk. So I'm like, yeah, I get it. So she took even a picture of me and sent it to my mom. And my mom was like, I know that face. <laughs> the, when, I, when I finally got to the end of myself, uh, there was a relationship right there. Uh, so for the next several weeks, Amy had to, like, uh, drive me places. And she was so sweet, like, Okay, well, I do this and this. The relationship was there all the time, but I was confident in my own. I mean, even when I was hurting, I was like just limping along until that trial forced me to go, okay, I need you. That's the picture of when trials come with us. Don't, don't try to like gut through it. Don't, don't try to be like, I, I can just hobble through this one. Just turn, the Lord's like, I'm here. I'm like the great physician. I'm the great doctor. Turn to me and I'll help you through this. Would you just... Turn to me. So, so when, when trials come, when you're, when you're lacking knowing what to do, have this perspective. 
turn to God and ask. It's not complicated. Willing, God is there and He's willing and He's able to provide all that you need every day. Without, He's not like, well, I gave you a little bit yesterday and now I'm kind of out. God's got this unending supply and He wants this relationship with you. So if you're lacking wisdom, if you don't know what to do, just turn to the Lord. Have this perspective that, boy, God is there and He has whatever I need at the exact moment I need. If I would just turn to Him, come to the end of myself. Yeah, that's good, right? We have a good God. Uh, number three, there is confidence in all circumstances. There's confidence in all circumstances because there is a hope beyond today. There's confidence in all circumstances because there's hope beyond today. It doesn't matter what you're going through, what resources you have, there is an end goal that gives us hope beyond whatever it is that you have today. In verses 9 and 10, it says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. The rich in his humiliation. You know, the believers who are hearing this for the first time had suffered a lot of loss. Uh, they had left careers. Uh, maybe even they have. Just imagine you having to just leave today and pack one bag and leave your home, your family, your career, your businesses that you built up, the positions that you had. They had to leave it all and rebuild all over again. And, and, and James wants to encourage them. Ja Jacob says, hey, uh, you can boast in what you have because it's not about what you have. In fact, he gives this illustration. It's like a flower that blooms and it's beautiful, right? That season was, oh, it's just gorgeous. But then the sun comes and it withers away. And are you going to be happy and sad each time it withers away? Or are you going to have an eternal perspective? Like flowers of the field. The beauty is here for a season and it fades. And he's saying, all of that, riches, poverty, it all, it all comes and it goes. And we know this too, because you get a brand new car, or at least a new car to you. You bring it home, and the kids are in, uh, in the driveway just scootering around. And you come out, and there's a scratch from end to the top because of the handle has scratched your brand new car. It's like when you wear those brand new white shoes, you know, that you got for dress up time and, and somebody steps back accidentally with muddy shoes and they get mud all over your shoes or they accidentally spill an icy on your new white shoes. It, it's not saying, here's what it's not saying, don't enjoy the beauty. Don't enjoy the new car. Don't enjoy the, the new clothes you have. Don't enjoy, he's not saying that. He's saying enjoy it, but know that you're going to throw that away someday. That someday that's going to go to the, the pound where it's going to be just destroyed. Everything you have around you, rich and poor, everything. So have this perspective that there's hope beyond today because we're going after a greater prize. All the other prizes, these crowns that we're seeking of success and financial wealth and all these things are going to like rust and decay but there's one thing that we have as believers that we're going to get that we should be looking forward to. In verse 12, it says it. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He's saying, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your situation is, he said, look up, look past those 
circumstances and, and boast in this, that you're going to receive the crown of life. So whether you're, you're rich or you're poor, whether you're going through a great season or a very difficult season, whether you have a lot or a little, it doesn't matter. Use it all for the kingdom of God because at the end of the day, it's only the crown of life that's going to last. We, we all like spend our days seeking uh, these different crowns and, and almost all of them are, are going to tarnish and fail except for the ones that God gives. Now, if you've given your, your life to Jesus, if you've been changed by the resurrection of Jesus so that you've received this, this forgiveness of your sins, we're going to see in James that this faith is working in you. It's changing you. It should be changing you. It's changing the way you see things. It's changing your perspective in the world. And so, and so maybe this morning, uh, James would want to remind you, Jacob writing his children would want to remind you that God is at work Where, wherever you are, whatever you're in. He's working. He's going to use that for your good as long as you continue following him. That God is right there to so just turn to him and receive his goodness. Blessing that there's hope beyond today. So take heart. Hang, hang in there, wherever you're at. Know that there is a greater reward at the end of our lives for those who follow Jesus. I'm going to end with Hebrews 12, and then we'll pray, and then I'm going to ask Mike to come up and lead us in communion. Uh, Hebrews 12 says this, and I think the writer of Hebrews is, was reflecting on a lot of, um, I mean, I know he's reflecting on a lot of the Old Testament, and, but even what kind of what James was talking about. He says this in Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We serve a mighty big God who wants to change our perspective. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the letter that Jacob wrote so long ago to believers uh, spread out everywhere around the world, which means to us too. And Lord, when um, co-workers and other students and teachers and people in our community, they, they, they think that the salvation message by you alone is just foolishness and they mock and they make fun and they exclude and, and we, we seemingly miss out on so uh, many things that the world offers. Lord, would, would you help us as believers who are in this dispersion uh, that, that we would see things through the kingdom uh, of God and not the kingdom of this world? That when, when trials come, Lord, that, uh, that just like James and Jesus... They counted it joy because they knew that you were doing a work in them and in the world. That you haven't lost control. That you are, you are working. You are at work in each of us. So, Lord, let us, let us count joy in that. And, Lord, let us turn to you. Every time something comes up, Lord, this next week, would we, would we just pray, Hear, O Hollyview, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, we turn just continually over and over to you and that we would find our, our greatest joy in that relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. 
We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.